0: This is Matt Pennington with Radio Free Asia. Welcome to South China Sea Currents, a weekly podcast on what's happening in the South China Sea. I'm joined by our South China Sea reporter, Drake Long, to talk about what he's been riding on this week for Radio Free Asia and Banan News. How are you doing, Drake?
1: Pretty good. It's been a busy week. How about yourself?
0: I'm doing well, and you're right. It has been a very busy week for us and for what's happening in the South China Sea. The USS Ronald Reagan aircraft carrier strike group made its third foray into the area since June. China's air force has been flying close to Taiwan and the atoll, the self-governing island occupies in the South China Sea, called Pratas. And at RFA and Banana News, we've also covered the announcement by the Philippines today. That's Friday, October the sixteenth, for the record that it's lifting a moratorium on oil exploration and its waters of what it calls the west philippine sea we'll turn to that in some depth later but first we're going to talk about japan last weekend its maritime self-defense forces conducted an anti-submarine warfare drill in the south china sea then they made a port call at cameron bay the famous port in the south of vietnam so drake these maneuvers at sea seem to set the stage for some diplomatic action this coming week. What can you tell us about that?
1: Right. So Japan's new Prime Minister, uh, Suga Yoshihida, just now announced this week that he is visiting Vietnam and Indonesia in his first trips abroad since becoming Prime Minister. Uh, if you couple that with the anti-submarine drill that the Japanese Maritime Self-Defense Force had in the South China Sea last week, and then the port call at Cam International Port this week, It seems to be clear that Japan is stepping up its engagement with Southeast Asia. They've clearly identified it as maybe an area of priority. Showing their presence in the South China Sea is kind of one way that they think they can engage with Southeast Asia. On top of that, there's news that the Japanese prime minister will sign a defense export agreement with Vietnam when he visits, which would be pretty unusual because as far as I know, that's the second ever defense export agreement Japan would sign with another country. The first one being with the Philippines. Japan does not usually export military equipment, so it seems to be stepping up its presence or at least its cooperation with Southeast Asia quite a bit. It's very
0: interesting that Yoshida is making his first uh, overseas trip to Southeast Asia. And before he does this, and he's going to Indonesia and Vietnam, and Japan's defense forces have been doing drills in both of those places this past
1: week, right? Yes, actually. They drilled with the uh, Indonesian Navy. They have not drilled with the Vietnamese Navy, but they have drilled, you know, in the South China Sea. And they've also drilled repeatedly with other Southeast Asian countries like Singapore quite a bit. It was actually unusual to see a solo drill by the Japanese Maritime Self-Defense Force last week. Usually you see them exercising with someone else, you know, the United States, Australia, some other country, what have you. It's, It's very unusual to see them kind of doing something on their own initiative. And sure enough, this week, they actually did do one drill with the U.S. as well. So it's very interesting. And I actually talked with uh, Jeffrey Hornung at the RAND Corporation about why Japan might be doing this. According to him, Japan has very limited capacity in what it can do in terms of security cooperation and like realistic presence in the South China Sea. But one thing that it can do is simply show to other countries, especially to China, that it is on friendly terms with a lot of Southeast Asian countries, which China can't really claim right now.
0: Right. And did China push back in any way this week in response to what Japan's defense forces were doing?
1: Yes. So also this week, China's top diplomat, uh, Foreign Minister Wang Yi, is visiting five different Southeast Asian countries, not Vietnam, but uh, five other ones. And he actually blasted the Quad. The Quad is a grouping of four Indo-Pacific democracies, which includes Japan. Wang Yi blasted it as a Indo-Pacific NATO said it will cause conflict in the region, said that it's simply a tool of the U.S. to divide countries into blocks. A lot of uh, heated rhetoric over it, actually. So it clearly is not going to be received well by China. And actually, we saw right after Japan made port call in Cameron International Port, China sent a survey ship through Vietnamese waters. It hasn't commenced a survey there, but it passed through, which I think is kind of a signal that they're a little bit unhappy with Vietnam and Japan's growing uh, camaraderie.
0: Right. Okay. And just to remind everyone, the Quad consists of of which countries?
1: India, Australia, the United States, and Japan. They had another senior level meeting not too long ago. didn't have a joint statement, but uh, I think it definitely caught China's attention.
0: I mean, the the US is very forthright in asserting this as a coalition of democracies sort of standing up for a free Indo-Pacific region and basically to oppose China. But I think the other members of it are less forthright in articulating that. And we don't really expect Japan to sort of push nations in Southeast Asia to push back up against China, right? This is a more subtle play.
1: Yes, definitely. So Jeffrey Hornung said that Japan understands that it can make port call in Vietnam, it can drill with the Indonesian Navy, it can drill with the Singapore Navy, it can pledge support to different Southeast Asian countries in terms of economic ties or defense exports, because it's on good terms with them. And simply by doing that, Japan is displaying, it has the ability to cooperate with these countries, it has friends, maybe not allies, but it has partners and friends that kind of want it to have a more robust role in Southeast Asia, whereas China is considered, you know, more or less kind of a security threat to other claims in the South China Sea. So Hordung pointed out that Japan's basically signaling that it can play a bigger role in Southeast Asia, but I think it's also very aware of its limits. It it doesn't have a super robust Navy. The Maritime Self-Defense Force is not meant to start a tussle or anything like that. It can't exercise the same way the U.S. can, but it can do some things on its own terms, which we're seeing right now.
0: Right. Well, it'd be very interesting to see what happens with the uh, Japanese Prime Minister visiting uh, Vietnam and Indonesia in the coming week.
1: Yes. how about
0: China this week? Have they been doing much in the security realm?
1: Oh, yeah. Uh, so we had a story out this week about Chinese flights into Taiwan's air defense identification zone, specifically because we're talking about 222 flights this year alone have gone into Taiwan's air defense identification zone between the main island of Taiwan and Pratis. Pratis, for those who don't know, is one of Taiwan's very few outposts in the South China Sea. It's a little atoll it's about 210 nautical miles from hong kong i believe about 275 miles from the southern taiwanese city of kaohsiung china is very clearly sending military aircraft between the island of taiwan and pratus to kind of show how isolated it is and with 222 flights that means there have been more surveillance flights into that area which prompted taiwanese air force to scramble to kind of respond to them than at any other time previous. Definitely more than 2019, definitely more than 2018, definitely more than, I believe, the past five years combined by some estimates. So it's it's very unusual. It's a very clear flexing of China's air power. It's something definitely very concerning if you're on Pratas, which is quite isolated right now.
0: I mean, is there actually much on Pratas?
1: There is a marine national park. There is a small contingent of Taiwanese Coast Guard personnel. They rotate Marines in every so often. But no, there's really not that much out there. It's not really meant to be a military base or what have you. It's actually quite interesting because something that happened this week that kind of raised a red flag was a civilian airliner contracted by Taiwan's Ministry of Defense tried to resupply the garrison on Pratis, and it was actually turned back by Hong Kong air traffic control. So there are signs that China is trying to pressure Pratis. They're trying to pressure Taiwan from resupplying that area, trying to maybe just simply demonstrate that they can reach it very easily. I spoke with Jessica Drun, who's a non-resident fellow at the Project 2049 Institute, who pointed out that while there might not be much on Pratis, it is a piece of Taiwanese territory not very far from Hong Kong. Five Hong Kongers fleeing the national security law, which RFA has reported extensively on, tried to reach Pratas a while ago, basically to claim asylum. They were fleeing the mainland. Twelve more Hong Kongers were caught in a speedboat, apparently trying to do the same thing. So Jessica Drun's thinking was that if you are China, you want to send a signal to Taipei that they cannot provide asylum to Hong Kongers if they reach Pratas because it's the most obvious kind of a stopping point for them. At the same time, Hong Kongers washing up on Pratas could be a pretext for China to simply say, you know, we can't let these people get away and send their coast guards further and further out, closer and closer to Pratas's waters. So a lot of factors that are going into this, very worrying.
0: Okay, so it's not really just about territorial issues, it's about the whole um, situation in Hong Kong and, and, and how that's playing out.
1: I think it's a story generally about the deteriorating relationship between Beijing and Taipei, and then Hong yeah. Kong is a wrinkle in that.
0: Right. You're listening to South China Sea Currents. Um, so let's get to today's hot news, which is the Philippines announcing a significant policy change uh, regarding oil exploration. So let's first of all listen to a soundbite. This is uh, recorded from a press conference by the Philippine Energy Secretary, Alfonso Kusi. Uh, a press statement that uh, we are lifting the moratorium on the exploration at the West Philippine Sea. And uh, this is basically the reason is that uh, uh, we need to address our uh, energy security. We need to harness the resources, uh, available resources at the West Philippine Sea. Uh, Sabi nga ni Pangulo para naman ma-enjoy ng ating mga mamamayan para sa future of our country and people. Uh, Kailangan po nato. So this is a real uh, concrete step by the government in addressing that. So, Drake, explain about this moratorium that the Philippines had imposed.
1: The Philippines has not allowed oil exploration or drilling in its part of the South China Sea since about 2014. There was a moratorium put in place by the administration before Duterte, simply because, well, it, it wasn't safe. In 2011, a Philippine oil rig uh, was actually a subject of harassment by Chinese Coast Guard ships and uh, maritime militia. China has made it abundantly clear that in the South China Sea, there can only be oil exploration with Chinese partners. It has harassed Vietnamese oil rigs, Malaysian oil rigs, and Philippine oil rigs, they get less attention, but they have, to stop them from independently exploring for their own resources. So joint exploration was something President Rodrigo Duterte tried with uh, China when he came to power in the Philippines but apparently that joint exploration agreement is not really going anywhere if you're now lifting the moratorium and saying anybody can drill in those areas that seems to imply the philippines is souring on the joint exploration agreement so it's it's very interesting development some other aspects that the energy secretary talked about one important thing was he tried to guarantee the safety of any international energy companies working in the south china sea in filipino waters saying that there would be a security perimeter around them whether they can enforce that is another matter but that's definitely speaking to worries about you know harassment as we saw in 2011 in the same area
0: so how did beijing react to this announcement from the philippines
1: i don't know if they were told necessarily i haven't actually seen any official statements from china on this yet
0: i think the foreign ministry did speak to it in a sort of quite benign and positive way but you know they certainly didn't condemn it. So I guess they're waiting to see how it plays out.
1: I mean, no oil company has actually set up there yet. So I guess we have to wait and see until expiration takes place and see how China reacts to it. We also don't know where it's going to happen. It could be near Reed Bank, which the Philippines calls Bank. That's been the site of multiple harassment campaigns, not even aimed solely at oil companies, but at Filipino fishermen and with Chinese survey vessels. If oil sets up there as they have done so in the past, it's more likely to get harassed than if it was much closer to Filipino shores.
0: Now, in his uh, announcements, we just heard, energy secretary was saying this is about Philippine energy security and trying to ensure the, the future of the country. Do you think hydrocarbon resources in off the coast of the Philippines are being seriously eyed by them as an economic boon for them?
1: That's something for perhaps uh, an energy economist or like an expert on that front. I'll say that from what I know, There's not as much oil there as people perhaps say there is. I think there's some opportunity for it, but you have to explore it first. You have to figure out, you know, is it profitable to even extract? And even if there's millions upon millions of dollars in potential oil reserves off the Philippine coast, if you cannot extract it safely or you have to negotiate a guarantee from China that you won't get harassed by them, I don't think any oil company is really going to work there. We're already seeing further away in Vietnam's territory. Tons of international oil companies have pulled out of partnerships with Vietnam's state owned oil agency uh, simply because it's not safe to drill there anymore. They've had contracts canceled or delayed constantly, losing billions of dollars because China puts pressure on them to pull out. And then the whole project essentially ends without any sort of a resolution or any profitable extraction. So I think that energy security is probably something that the Philippines is thinking a lot about. I think this is more so to express frustration over joint agreement with Chinese oil companies kind of falling through. The profitability, we'll have to wait and see, I guess.
0: This could be a risky move. I I mean, in the press conference, the Energy Secretary had, as he made this announcement, he was actually asked, you know, very plainly, what he'd do if China protested or intervened. And this is what he said, let's listen. Well, of course we have to stand up for our rights. Uh, uh, That's that's what we're going to do. uh... So he's saying, of course, we have to stand up for our rights, and that's what we're going to do. Very bold words. But does Manila have the wherewithal to do that?
1: Well, another part of that conference that I thought was fairly interesting was that, you know, he said, we will protect Philippine sovereignty. We believe that China will respect our sovereignty as we open up the West Philippine Sea, the South China Sea to oil exploration. And then someone else asked him, I mean, have you informed China about this? And he said, "Uh, no, actually. So it's, it's very odd. I don't quite know how much was coordinated beforehand, or at least alerted to Chinese counterparts, or even US counterparts or anybody else. One of the important things to kind of think here, uh, the U.S. and the Philippines have a mutual defense treaty that binds the U.S. to defend the Philippines if its naval personnel come under attack. The definition of the mutual defense treaty has kind of shifted over the years to encompass personnel out in the South China Sea. The problem is that if they set up a security perimeter, as they say, The Philippines might be saying, yes, we will defend our sovereignty, but we may be protecting ourselves. But it actually might be because now that there's a more clear commitment by the US to defend Philippine naval personnel, they know that if they set up a perimeter and China harasses them or attacks them, it might actually be grounds to invoke the mutual defense treaty. That's something to kind of think about. They've definitely never said that that's what the Philippines is thinking. And the USA has not said anything about that yet. But that might be kind of the nuclear option when it comes to defending this new uh, drilling. The security perimeter itself, I mean, the Philippine Navy, the Philippine Coast Guard is nowhere near in terms of tonnage or numbers as the Chinese Navy and Chinese Coast Guard even. So it would always be kind of like a token force defending that security perimeter. But we'll have to wait and see uh, how much China wants to push that.
0: Okay, very interesting. There could be a lot of ramifications from this announcement today. Oh, yeah okay well thanks very much drake so all of you listening please uh, check out drake's writings this week which you can see on rfa.org and bananews.org all the stuff we've been talking about today there he's written stories on that you can also check out our previous podcasts on those websites or otherwise you can search on Spotify and itunes just look for south china sea currents if you've got any questions or feedback Please send us an email on South China Sea, that's all one word, at rfa.org. Or follow Drake on Twitter. His handle is DRM underscore long. I'm Matt Pennington with Drake Long, the South China Sea reporter for Radio Free Asia and Banar News. This podcast series is created by Lao Kim and produced by Radio Free Asia. Thank you for listening and please join us again.